Hey everyone, I'm Dr. Kelly Starrett. And I'm Juliette Starrett. And you're listening to the Ready State Podcast. You got it! You better stop it! This episode of the Ready State Podcast is brought to you by Sleep Me. Everyone should know that we live in a really cool mid-century modern house. I think they already know that. Everyone has a deck. It's so cool. It's a small house. We love it, but it has zero insulation and zero heating. Zero heating. All these houses originally had like radiant heat in the floors and ours doesn't work. And we have heater problems. So our house is really cold. Most of the year in the summer, we're, we're killing it. But in the winter right now, it's killing us. But guess what? You have been utilizing your Doc Pro in a different way. What is that? Yeah. So normally for, I, I would say nine months of the year, I keep it in the low seventies and I sleep beautifully. But at this time of year, I've actually been turning it up pretty high before I get into bed, like in the nineties, so that when I get into bed, when it's so cold, it's super warm. And then I program it. So it turns down to about 80 degrees, which is what I've been sleeping at over the winter. Which is super cool for me because you actually get so mad before we go to bed sometimes because you're like, it's, it's so cold. cold in here. You actually are mad and you kind of shout at me. <laughs> Not anymore because you jump into this really, really warm, warm bed. The control is remarkable. I've even had, because our room is so cold and which is not, I slept, grew up in Germany with the window open. Sometimes snow would come in my face in the winter. I love that. But yeah. I've even had to go up a few degrees. I've yeah, been it's like nice to the, sleep in a cold room, but there is a limit. <laughs> so a yeah. limit. We always talk about how hot we sleep, but if you're a cold sleeper, it really makes a difference to be able to modulate the temperature and find your ideal temp. And you can see that. Yeah. And it's awesome that it can be flexible depending on the seasons Aww. like we have. So head on over to sleep.me slash TRS to learn more and save off the purchase of any new Cube, Uller, or Doc Pro sleep system. Go to sleep.me slash TRS to take advantage of our exclusive discount and wake up warm and refreshed every day. Bam. On this episode of the Ready State Podcast, we are bringing to you one of my favorite current working coaches on the planet, Travis Mash. Travis has been a strength training in strength training for 21 years, been working with athletes, strength, speed, and athletic development for 15 years. Travis has worked with athletes and non-athletes of all levels, NFL, Olympic hopefuls, to seven-year-olds just starting out, to even a 70-year-old senior seeking increased mobility and less pain. Travis is a published author for several strength conditioning journals and continues to work with several universities like UNC Chapel Hill, Wake Forest, Appalachian State, and Wofford University. He's a current or was a powerlifting world champion and has held the all-time pound-for-pound world record in powerlifting. He's also an Olympic hopeful in weightlifting and recruited by the U.S. men's bobsled team. Having been a world champion, Travis is able to share his champion mentality with his athletes and non-athletes alike. So there were a lot of really cool things about this conversation with Travis, and he is obviously such a nice and smart human. But one of the things I loved learning about was his obsession with flywheel training and how he's trying to figure out ways to get it into youth sports specifically to prevent ACL injuries. So we talked about that. And I know you also are obsessed with the flywheel. It's true. You know, we became friends after uh, we had kind of a common experience with a joint replacement. But I have been following Travis Mash for a long time. He is a, just a super well-known really competent and accomplished coach. One of the things that I love that he's continuing to do is grow his own skills. He just wrapped up his master's, about to start a PhD. And he's really interested in athlete monitoring because he's seeing now, and we had this conversation, everyone is working really hard, but we don't really know what the inputs and outputs are. 
Yeah. And the other thing I loved hearing about was how he's training his, he's got three little kids, how he's training his little kids and set up his basement to be like a play space, training space for them. And it was just a really cool, fun conversation. So welcome, Travis. Hey, Ready State listeners, if you like what you're hearing, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Travis, welcome to the Ready State podcast. I'm so excited to be here. Kelly is one of my favorites, as everyone knows. Oh, man. <laughs> I'll tell you what, uh, Juliet preemptively got on. She's like, don't get on and start just nerding out with Travis. She's like, I know you want to get on and start talking about Olympic lifting and styles of training. She's like, but we need to understand how you came to being one of the most influential coaches in my life. And I'm such a consumer of the way you coach and teach, and I'm such a fan. Can you talk about your journey on your way up to being one of the world premier weightlifters in the world? Man, it's, it's been such a journey. You know, I'm from a very small town in the mountains of North Carolina where nobody would know where I'm from. Nobody has been to where I'm from, and you shouldn't go there, probably. But <laughs> it might not be safe. <laughs> no, it's probably not. Not unless you have an accent. You better get a North Carolina accent real quick there if you go. go there. So, so the journey has been long. You know, I didn't grow up with a, a family where, you know, you know, I didn't have a dad who was a doctor and a mama who was a lawyer. You know, like both my parents were very hardworking, and they encouraged me to pursue you know, definitely like scholastic endeavors. But anyway, so like when I graduated college, I went to Appalachian State University. Yeah. I, on a whim, I moved to Colorado Springs because I wanted to pursue weightlifting. And back then, you know, there wasn't a CrossFit on every corner. And so there wasn't that many choices. So the Olympic Training Center was there and Wes Barnett was a two-time Olympian who was coaching at a gym in Colorado Springs. So I literally went there and hadn't even talked to him, just drove there, showed up, asked him to coach me. I was blessed to God. So lucky. I'll look back. If this was my, one of my children doing what I'm about to tell you, I would be freaked out. But I had $200 to my name, drove everything I owned out there, didn't have a job, and then went there, met Wes Barnett. And luckily, the owner of the gym where he was training was being trained by him and asked me you know, where was I going to work? And I'm like, I have no idea. So he asked me if I needed a job. And I said, yes. So he gave me a job. And then on the way to my car, one of the trainers there, Ryan Mitchell said, where are you going to live? And I'm like, I don't know. And he said, do you want to live with me? So literally within the hour <laughs> of, of making it to Colorado Springs, I had my coach, my job, and I had a place to live. And so the journey began really right then. As far That's as knowledge. So Couple um, follow-up. The universe up needed there. you. The universe so needed you. What what time frame is this? Because it was obviously pre-crossfit, and I know what you mean. I mean, now if you want to learn how to Olympic lift, you can go to like any corner. You can and, buy bumper and, plates yeah, at, yeah, Wal at like, like big Walmart. five, yeah, or big, big five, five yeah. or something. So, so what was the time frame? And then what you know, given that your parents had emphasized education so much, how did they feel about this jump into? Weightlifting. And that's full tr full transparency from Juliet, who became a professional river guide. Yeah. And me, who like slept in a car and kayaked. I mean, we get where you're coming from. <laughs> My mom was unenthused. And I don't blame <laughs> her. As a parent, I, I don't blame her. I kind of hope I take a little bit different approach as to voicing that opinion. But like when I was leaving, she was very calm. She just said, you know, I'll see you. She said, what did she say? I'll see you within a month. And I was like, you're probably right. I told her. But but I'm going to go. And so, but it wasn't a month. 
You know, I remember calling her the day I got all the job and the place to live. I'm like, I don't think it's going to be a month, mom. And so, and so, you know, I don't blame her. There was nothing back then. Like, why would she want her son who just graduated college to, you know, run out to Colorado Springs to pursue weightlifting? Like, what is weightlifting? Is it benching? You know, like, people don't even know what it is. Now they do. In North Carolina, they didn't have yeah. a weightlifting gap year? Yeah, weightlifting gap year. Okay, so. 1997, by the way, is the year. 1997. Okay, so. Quick backstory, our little daughter, Caroline, was lucky enough to actually go to that Olympic Training Center last winter for a camp. She plays awesome. water polo. And so she stayed there for four or five days. And it's been fun to talk to some of our friends because we have some other friends who also have trained there, mostly weightlifters. Bobsledders. And, and bobsledders. And, you know, her, when she moved into the dorm room, she called and said, hey, mom, this place is like a prison. But anyway, I love that I've been on that campus and sort of, and I don't think it's really changed probably since you were there in 1997, but, but it's also like a bit of a fortress. Like there's a guy at the gate and it has, you know, the huge Olympic rings and fences all around it. I mean, did you literally just like pull up to the guy at the kiosk and you're like, Hey, I'm a weightlifter. Like, how? No, no, no. Okay. <laughs> to clarify, like I did not start training. So when I drove to Colorado Springs, Wes was coaching at the World Gym. That was a detail I left out. He was coaching at a World Gym in Colorado Springs. So no, I did not. Yeah, they would have told me to leave. If I just, <laughs> so, but like, but a year later, I did. I was invited to train there, and so I did train at the Olympic Training Center. It's so, but cool. it was a year later. I had to do a little bit of training and a little bit of competing, and um, that was amazing too. You obviously knew you had some talent because you just don't show up untrained. I mean. Coach Bergner, a long time ago, said no one just does body weight overhead squats for sets of 10. Like, this just doesn't happen unless you've done it a lot, right? Tell us how you got into Olympic style weightlifting because people don't understand now with the changes in CrossFit and the internet and what you can buy and Olympic lifting shoes at Walmart and all these things. Olympic lifting was like one of the last true amateur sports because you could actually do this in your basement garage kind of get strong, work out the technique, get a video, get some VHS cobbled together from, you know, Coach Schmitz that he sent you in the mail. Like something happened. It was so small. But how did you so get small, into yeah. Olympic weightlifting, Olympic style weightlifting? Well, I played football. I played football at Appalachian State University. And I think I had one of the, in that time, I think my strength coach was probably the best. Now that I know what I know, was definitely one of the best in the whole country. But Amazing. Mike Kent was my strength conditioning coach. Gosh, he taught how to squat. He, he taught it properly. He taught uh, snatching, clean and jerking, and he taught it. He had a very good systematic approach, and the way we did it was very detailed. The only exercise where he didn't really govern technique that well was bench press. But he was very honest. He said to us that with the benching, he literally thought it was of zero value to football. He only did it for our egos. He said he's like, if it makes you feel strong, then you'll probably be strong. But he didn't care at all about technique on bench, but whatever. But he taught me a pretty good job to be a college strength coach in the 90s. He did a great job of, of giving me the base I needed. And he, he was very honest with me, too. He's like, you know, you know, you're not going to play in the NFL, which I was I was well aware. You know, I was lucky to be at Appalachian State. So, But he said, but you're really strong. You're stronger than the other people on the team. He said, I think you would give weightlifting a really good shot. And so it was him that encouraged me to go. and. You know, then I took, uh, before I went out there, I took uh, the, my level one. Back then it was the club coach. It was from yeah. Lynn Jones was my coach and it uh, was my teacher. And he's the one who told me about Wes and about him coaching there. And so I just went and 
that really resonates that we just had, I think about my own athletic experience as a paddler and kind of flirting with the idea of slalom and, and someone saying, Hey, I think you guys have talent. You should give it a shot. You know, really just like, you know, just someone saying, Hey, I, th I think you could make something here. One of the things that I think is extraordinary is that you are a really good athlete playing college football. One of the things that I think it's lost in modern, the fetishization of the gym and hyper-specialized people become very early, they oftentimes don't have time to actually play sports. Do you think that's a detriment to Olympic-style weightlifting or how much do you encourage your athletes now? Because you are really one of the best coaches in the world of grabbing talent early and developing them, but you came from a different platform. Is that a benefit to play sports or does that hinder you or is it always a trade-off? I think it's a little bit of all of that. It's, I feel like specializing too early is a complete detriment, I believe. And what do you I mean by that? Define specializing too early. I think people hear that a lot, right? We fight with it, you know, with our kids and water polo and swimming and all that stuff. But can you define what you mean by specializing too early in sports? If I had to define it exactly, I would say before 14, I think that when you start committing year-round to one sport before 14, you lose a lot of athletic characteristics that you would otherwise develop, you know, like proprioception and just kinesthetic awareness. Like, you're losing all that. Just how to move, man. Like, you know, how to move your body through space, you lose it. You get used to doing one thing, and I, I feel like you just lose a lot of advantages you would otherwise gained had you not done that. So I want to put a pin in this kids athletic thing because I have like 40 questions for you on it. But before we get to that, at what point did you switch from being an Olympic lifter to competing in powerlifting in which you became multiple time world champion and you're like the strongest man on earth, basically? Oh, was. <laughs> <laughs> and so tell us a little bit about that transition. It was easy decision. My father got, was diagnosed with terminal lung cancer. And so that was like right around 2000. And so I had to make a choice. You know, do I keep pursuing this dream and not talk to my dad on his last few months of his life or, or move home? And so it was easy. I moved home. And um, like I said, there still wasn't CrossFits anywhere near me. So I decided you can power lift anywhere. If there's a gym, you can power lift. I don't feel like it's, I mean, it helps to have a coach. It's not as necessary as weightlifting, I think. And so I was able to start squatting, benching, deadlifting. And I, I, luckily, I met Louis Simmons early on. And while I was in Colorado Springs, I should mention, what really encouraged me to pursue, like, you know, further my education, I met Charles Polican while I was out there. Mm -hmm. He was with Dr. Leahy and Champion Health, which Dr. Leahy is like the guy who patented uh, active release technique. And I met that group. And plus, T Nation was there, all in the same building. I was, like, exposed to those incredible people. And that's what made me want to, you know, really push my education much further because Charles was so smart. And so that put me on that path. But then going home, meeting Louis Simmons, like trying to play, you know, like I definitely wasn't committed to doing everything like West Side style because I think that there was a lot of holes in their approach, but it was a good influence. He was, uh, he would always handle me at meets and help me out. And so oh, it is, amazing. you know, the group. Yeah. And so, and then there, I started doing that. There was that, it was the WPO. It was the first and only pro like professional powerlifting league. And so it was good timing. So I started there and, you know. Those are as good roots as you can possibly have. 
I was just hanging out with Derek Woodski and he was talking about just giving me Charles Polican stories, you know, just, you know, someone who never met Charles is just a legend. I fortunately did get a, get a chance to squat with Louie and I put it in my special, like stuff I got to do as a human being on this earth category. Yeah. Yeah. Me too, man. Like getting to hang out with him. And he was, you know, like when I first called him and the dude picks up the phone, blew my mind. Cause he was like, you know, he's legendary. By the time I finally had the courage to call him, he was already a legend. I just assumed that some secretary or, or somebody would answer for him, but it was him. And I almost froze up and hung up because I was so scared. But, <laughs> but I talked and he talked back and we became the best of friends because I don't know why he liked me so much because, you know, I would compete against his the legendary Chuck Vogelpool, his like claim to fame as far as athletes, and I would beat him. And But like um, he would always be super nice and help me even though Chuck hated me. But he didn't. Because so. <laughs> you know, Louie was into big know, athletes and went fast. I know Kelly has yeah. a question in the queue, but I know for Kelly, there's something about the strength and conditioning community. The same thing happened to Kelly when he was a young coach. You know, there were four or five people who just actually picked up the phone when he called yeah. and talked to him. And I think it was so kind of changed his life and so influential. And I noticed Kelly actually tries now to do that, right? He actually tries to answer the phone he does that. and talk to people. And, you know, he doesn't have a gatekeeper. You know, he just tries to be available. And I think it was because it was so important yeah. that some people like that did that for him, too, at that phase of his life. Kelly reached out to me when I got my surgery out of the blue to help me. They had nothing in it for him. Just he's like, try out this machine of mine and it saved my darn life. What's it called? The I still use the H wave. The H wave. Yes. It saved my life. Like I was in so much pain. But that definitely stuck. Like I'm a very loyal person. And the minute he did that, like he has my unending loyalty because he just out of the blue, what a nice in this era, we all know how it's so very rare humans like that. So it's definitely a special person. Yeah, that's cool. That's a cool story. Well, I just want everyone to know that it was my excuse to be like, let me slip into my one of my heroes DMs and be like, what's up, coach? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and uh, I think I can actually get you lifting again because you're actually really important to the community. And you bring something up, I both of you, just the accessibility of the world's greatest coaches and something you did, which is so remarkable, just on faith, driving to Carl Springs, knowing that you were going to be humble enough to show up and work hard, but that faith kind of has get lost a little bit sometimes with young coaches hustling and needing to go there. It's pretty remarkable that there's a generation yeah. of people that just could reach out. Yeah. I know, yeah, man. I Why is that? Back when I was young, like we just, we show would up. go there and learn from each other. Now it doesn't happen as much as it should. Yeah. It's gotten complicated and it's complicated. <laughs> but that, yeah. if you're listening to this and you're a young coach, it definitely makes sense to literally get in the car and if a coach is there, show up and show up early. I mean, if that coaching at six, bring them coffee at 530 and you'll, people will show you all of their work and they're so transparent, but you just have to show up. You can't just like phone it in and ask questions on email. That's so lazy. To yeah, show I up, I know, man. Like, yeah, I just wish, you know, you have people online that will go out and they will, uh, you know, they will accuse you of things and attack you, which drives me crazy when I'm always like, why don't you just visit and see, you know, like come hang out. Just I'm happy to show you what over. I mean. Yeah. Come on over. Right. Okay. So I want to just switch back to the education topic Okay. Um, because I know you're getting your PhD now and what is it in? And if your mom is still alive, is she stoked? 
that you are getting paid because I I know that Juliet's parents were stoked when she became went from RAF guide to internet professional to an attorney, and yeah. my parents were super stoked when I was like, I'm in a doctoral program, and they were like, Oh, you're not a dirtbag boater. That's great. <laughs> anyway, so I just wanted to find out about your PhD. It's so cool you're doing that. Yeah, my mom is definitely glad that I didn't listen to her. You know, it was like um, she says it a lot, which is. Makes me feel good that she, you know, admits admits it. But yeah, she's definitely glad. It's been a challenge. You know, I'm done. Finished my master's. My PhD will be in human performance, and I'm I'm looking to go to that um, University of Auckland out of New Zealand. That John Cronin, his program. It was the one that uh, Dr. Galpin, Andy Galpin, is the one who you know recommended I go there. And it's really cool because it's it's all research based. So you, you know, you pick the topic, which my topic is, I love to, you know, athlete monitoring, you know, really where you're looking at is fatigue monitoring. So we're going to, you know, look at different ways to, you know, monitor fatigue and possibly tie in the, I'm really digging the old um, flywheel now. So I just did this paper, finished this paper for Kabuki that I put a protocol and believe it or not, I thought it would be easy. It took me months because there's just nothing out there. No. People are just doing the flywheel. They're just kind of winging it. But I finished the first, I think the first of its kind where, where I've listed all the different uh, inertial loads, you know, sets, reps, intensities, using linear velocity versus angular acceleration. So look for that to come out. It's going to be really cool. You're such a nerd, Coach, and I love the flywheel. The K- shout out to Kubuki Kratos. Kelly's obsessed with the flywheel. I had one of Wes's early uh, editions, and uh, it really is one of the reasons I got my knee back so fast because I was able to do the appropriate amount of gnarly eccentric loading. We talked about you just last week. We <laughs> talked about that. So, yeah. And uh, just everyone, this is your greatest fear, Juliet, but um, BFR – and flywheel together is the gnarliest thing on earth. And Lisa's shaking her head because I'm always like, Lisa, let's go get a bicep pump. She's like, no. She likes it. But she's down. She's down. We we strap on the cups and uh, die on the flywheel. We've used the BFR with the um, belt squat, but not the flywheel, but we're we're going to. And then um, I'm going to try to find a way to, you know, not like a a huge uh, research protocol, but I would like to like look at my athletes and see if I can come up with some better like ways to prescribe bfr and the flywheel but but we'll see so okay so you've got this education thing you're talking about <laughs> athlete monitoring which i think is amazing julia and i are and actually lisa and all three of us are wearing aura rings yeah and even though we are most of the time are trying to do we know what it takes to get a good night's sleep and and manage what people don't get is that i believe and i think you'll share this is that Everyone's working as hard as they can work. Yeah. And the difference now is who can adapt to the stresses more effectively. Because, you know, and we're, I have a team I work with over in Cal and they're just swimming just as hard as USC. They're swimming just as hard as UCLA. They're training. Everyone's got a weight training coach. Uh, really, it's all these details about having the athletes show up as fresh as possible right. and do the most work as possible, which is an old Pavel saying. I mean, you know, so what are you seeing? as keys in this athlete monitoring piece, because you're still, you're not just talking about it. You're also coaching world-class athletes still. Right. Where are you seeing, because I think the average person who's not a world-class athlete could benefit from understanding themselves of inputs and outputs and stress and readiness. I just learned probably the most valuable lesson of my entire career, like in the, within the last month, you know, we had um, the senior world championships were just a, 
like a few days ago, like a couple weeks ago, and we did terrible. And I knew that we were going to do terrible too. Like uh, because I monitor so well, it gave me a darkness, <laughs> a forced sandwich <laughs> of darkness. <laughs> but there was nothing I could do about it. It was too late. Is like uh, here's what happened: is um, this athlete Ryan Grimsland who's incredible. And we've been on, we've been competing eight years together, and we have never had a had a competition where we did not PR something. So we have eight year streak, and then the senior worlds come, and I, I knew going into it, like I knew the meet before it. We kind of limped in, and we got a PR, but it was lucky, and he was struggling. Sleep was struggling, like he was struggling to be enthusiastic about training, and it was a classic overtraining. It wasn't overreaching. Like it was straight over overtraining, but like there was nothing I could do about it. It was too late. By the time I found out, we're a couple weeks out, and I, I'm trying everything, but it was we'd gone too far. So the point being is like doing even better monitoring, and like you know, I just assumed that a 20 year old that we would be able to do as many meets as we wanted. And in the history of all these young athletes I've coached, it was only until they were past their junior years, which is after they're 20 years old where you're starting to really worry about like uh, maybe only peaking twice a year. But I was just one meet short, man. Like it opened my eyes even more to get more detailed to like correlating sleep, correlating stress. Here's the problem, Kelly, is like nowadays we have so many things to, to worry about because, you know, used to when I was young, you go to high school and maybe you get bullied, but you get to come home and get away from that bullying, touch your mom and dad. But now with social media, kids are de- dealing with stress all the time. And like, you know, and then you get the blue light messing up their sleep. It's like, it's becoming harder than ever to make sure that you're giving the, you know, optimal amount of stress and not just, you know, too much. Anyway, that was on a tangent. This is a good time. I just want to shout out or talk about point is that you did work with this person when they were much younger yeah. and you caught them when they made this transition to maybe not handle the kinds of volume they used to. You, most people have no idea what it's like to actually coach someone at a high level for a decade right? and actually kind of grow and change with them. You know, I would say this is a, what happened to you all is a normal feature of the system where you just didn't, you know, you hadn't seen it enough times to sort of anticipate it. So, I mean, it's really interesting. Right. Could we press rewind a little bit and could you tell us what things are you monitoring and what do you think we have the capability to monitor well right now? And what do you think is that, you know, I know we're all monitoring some things where the technology just isn't quite there yet. So we're like one of the things, obviously Olympic lifters aren't doing this, but you know, I know there's pretty universal feeling that like all these things monitor, like how many calories you burn in a workout. And I think everybody's of the agreement that that's all BS, that none of that is accurate, but what are you monitoring? And like, what do you feel good about knowing the data is correct i feel a subjective questionnaire is really good as long as it as long as it's matched up with like we use a jump every day you know we use a depth jump of 45 centimeters every single day that well it, and it's uh preceded by a, the same warm-up we do a 10-minute group warm-up then we do a 10-minute individualized warm-up because everyone is different and then they do 45 centimeter depth jump I chose the depth jump because it looks more at the neuro. I think it looks at the neuromuscular system more so than just the muscular. I mean, yes, the counter movement jump, but I want it. I feel, and I think most would agree that the depth jump is definitely more neural. And you're jumping on a force plate, coach. You're jumping off of some 45 inches, 45 centimeters tall. We have a jump mat, but from now on, we're going to use the the gym aware because the jump mat is, you know, it's definitely not as consistent as using the gym wear. As long as you use it 
properly because you know the dimware with the tether it like is just a measurement of distance and speed and so it's more precise so we're going to use that plus it'll monitor it'll put the results on the cloud easier for me to like keep the results uh, long term so that's what we'll use from now on is a gym, is just the dimware that's cool yeah i wish a force plate kelly but um, we don't I'll take have the gymware. It's I, like simpler <laughs> I mean, and and democratized. Juliet and I are always talking about. We're like this technology is great, but it's ten thousand dollars a person, and it doesn't scale, and you need seventeen of them, and athletes don't like it. And I love the velocity; is my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I hammer on that. I think um, one of the things that I appreciate about your coaching is that you are a speed based coach. That you need to be able to generate power and wattage, and that really guides a lot of my decision making about positions that we think transfer more effectively because they handle force, not just, you know, strength, but, you know, speed and power as a piece. And so really seeing that, that decay is, I think is, is cool that you look at that and it totally aligns with the way I feel about it. I just wish we'd had more time to, to do something. When I, it, it wasn't until like three weeks out that I realized mm. what had happened. And it was a combination of things. It was like, he was struggling to sleep, which we dealt with, but by the time we dealt with it, the damage was kind of done and he was dealing with stress with the roommate. He was dealing with the stress in general and he wasn't yeah. communicating with me. And so uh, we made a lot of changes to make sure that never happens again. So it turns yeah. out being a human being who competes <laughs> is tricky. And it, and it <laughs> confirms, it confirms my hypothesis that all kids under 20 are made of plastic. And, um, <laughs> and then once they turn 20, they are no longer made of plastic. <laughs> yeah, you're totally right. Hey guys, we just want to take a little break in this podcast episode to actually tell you about one of our own products, and that's our Ready State Virtual Mobility Coach. Yeah, the app literally is the first place you should go if you're trying to feel better, if you're trying to solve an old movement-related problem, if you're just trying to not be a sore from your workout. There is so much going on in this app. We have a mobility test that is comprehensive and designed by Kelly Starrett himself. It's pretty good. So you can figure out what your biggest limitations are and start to work on that. There are sports-specific mobilizations if you want to try to lift more or Fact. run faster. There is a pain area. And we even have a ton of bonus content. You can do challenges around squat and ankle and a bunch of other specific body parts so you can just generally get more supple so you're and killing awesome. It. You should talk about this app more often. <laughs> We started the original mobility project back in 2010, trying to help people solve problems for themselves. We think that every human being should be able to perform basic maintenance on themselves. And we want you to be able to engage in some self-care in a really re reasonable, responsible way. One of our favorite parts of it, daily mobility. You have a 10, 20, or 30 minute follow along with me. If you just have a ball and a roller, think you want to feel better, move better, play along. I mean, we really feel like that's the base camp practice and you can add in what you need. We're really proud of this and what we've created here, and we think you should give it a try. Back. Head on over to the readystate.com slash trial and use code POD20 for 20% off your first month. And just FYI, including your two-week free trial, that's literally six weeks for $11.99. You can't beat that. There's so much amazing content to help you feel better and move better for $11.99. In the words of our uh, podcast producer, bananas. Okay, so one of the things I want to talk about with you, Travis, well, all three of us, is that for better or worse, one of the things we all share in common is a joint replacement. <laughs> yeah. 
and sometimes I'm less excited to talk about that because I feel like it's like the worst marketing we could ever do for uh, training and being strong and athletic. (laughs) But yeah, tell us about, I know you had your hip replaced. Tell us about sort of the journey of that. And and let me preface this by saying that I've never seen anyone have a hip replacement and then do what Travis has done with his replacement. Yeah. Travis is going, basically going to Mars every day. I'm like, Moon, that's cute. Let me tell you my friend who's gone to Mars on his hip. And I will say it is cool to, I think even the physicians are shocked these days about what's possible. I don't think they knew what was possible. So yeah, I mean, tell us a little bit about your replacement and recovery and what you were able to do afterwards and are still doing. Well, you know, I, I believe that, you know, what caused it originally is just, you know, the way that my hips are designed. I have deep hip sockets. That's really good if you're a powerlifter because depth becomes an issue. It wasn't so good for weightlifting. I feel like probably the, my years of weightlifting were rougher on my joints because I was, you know, forcing a depth that probably wasn't as natural for my body. But you know, that's just me guessing. Let me pause it for everyone. Load, speed, volume at those depths. Like you, yeah. right? I mean, just everyone understands we're talking about, you know, cleaning and jerking 200 plus kilos regularly you know those are big impulse loads on the hips just so we're clear they are yeah and then the squatting you know i have um my best in competition squat is 970 and so i've done over a thousand in training a few times it's just a lot a lot of abuse yeah. on yeah. my hips and um which i don't regret like the heck you know like i would rather be a look like frankenstein when i'm dying and live my life versus like you know have no surgeries and i have done nothing who wants to live like that? So I don't, I'm with I don't you. regret any of that. So like, yeah, what I did was go too far though, you know, is um, I let it get too far. I was in Turkmenistan and I could barely walk, Juliet. Like I literally let it get to the point where like I was crippled and then that was enough. I finally was like, that's enough. You know, I felt like I was 90 years old and I got home, scheduled the appointment. My doctor w- was amazing and the recovery Kelly led me through. He gave me parameters to stick with, you know, stick with them. And then I, you know, I did my own, you know, programming for it. But it was like, um, I don't want to exaggerate, but it was like 18 weeks and I squatted 230 kilos, 506. You know, like, it was like 18 <laughs> weeks post-surgery. Did you tell your doctor that or just kind of keep that to yourself? He found out. So like- <laughs> he, he follows he, you he on found, Instagram? Crippled in Turkmenistan. <laughs> he called me, he called me into his office because he he had witnessed a video and he's like so he he's like this, this is a bad idea he's like so he wanted to do x-rays and mris so but then when they went to look at the joint he said it was like perfect he said the healing was even better he said the pressure must have caused like you know a greater response and so he was super excited but he didn't know he really did not understand how it was able to withstand the pressure, but it, it did. And so, yeah. Well, Wolf's Law, everyone, the original Wolf's Law is when you challenge a bone, it gets stronger. Right. That is like Julius Wolf, 1800s. Yeah. And uh, you flex the bone a little bit, osteoblasts come in. So it's not a surprise that you systematically, you didn't go from zero to no. you know 200 plus kilos at all. Just so everyone's clear, every time we have in our family, we've had some surgeries and Carolyn's broken ankle and how we load it is a little bit different than the average bear. And when they go in, they're always freaked out. And then they're always like, we've never seen healing like this before. So one quick story for you. Similarly, Kelly worked with us for his knee replacement, worked with this really 
OG, but very good surgeon in the Bay Area called Dr. Vale. And a friend of ours is actually works for the pharmaceutical company that supplies the implants. So he has occasion to interact with Dr. Vale, like on the very regular. And so once Kelly started doing big things on the knee replacement, he would show videos to Dr. Vale. And I think Dr. Vale was like, don't show me that. Like, I don't even want to see those. Like, I think he was like, I'm sure on some level thought it was cool. And then I just think it's so, it can be so anxiety producing for those guys. They're like, no, thank you. But maybe we should look at rehab closer is my thought. Yeah. Well, I want to, correct? if you're, you know, if you're hearing this, just understand there's a couple things, moving well, being strong, taking care of your tissues, you know, and really that all matters. And that the bar has been set very low on most orthopedic surgeries in terms of what we expect people. And everything that you and I did and everything we've done with Juliet is always within the parameters of tissue healing. We're not stressing. You weren't being a cowboy. You weren't taking risks. You weren't, you know, Tony Hawk recently had a bad femur break, a skateboarder, but he started skateboarding on his on his leg very much too soon. And lo and behold, he had a non-union. So his femur hadn't grown together and he was like, I overdid it. What I want everyone to know is you didn't overdo it. You never overdid it once. Anything, you were so conservative as to let yourself get it to a place where you could actually do that safely. And that's that's what I want everyone to understand. Yeah, I was definitely like, you know, it, it was introducing a little bit more and a little bit more stress. And I let, you know, movement, being able to move through a range of motion with proper movement. And, you know, obviously let pain dictate as well. Like I didn't squat into excruciating pain. I was like, no, was that my body? Like give me the ideas necessary to make proper decisions. You know, let me ask you this. It certainly has made me a more empathic coach and understanding, especially working with, we'll put in quote, older people like myself. Right, myself. Now yeah. as Julie and I are, are approaching 50, it's just given me, uh, I mean, it's easy to work with mutants. You cut off their arm and it grows back the next day and you're like, oh, let's go on. <laughs> how did your experience here change or did it influence how you thought about the development of athletes or working with athletes across the age spectrum? It definitely opened my eyes to like, I wish I would have looked at movement a little differently, you know, throughout, even while I was powerlifting, I wish I would have probably considered being able to move in all the different vectors and planes of motion a little bit more, you know, but other than that, problem is the specificity, you know, like you don't want to, you know, as a power lifter, like it's just part of the game. You don't want too much movement because then, you know, it makes you weaker. Like you want just the right amount, but I, <laughs> I would still probably have moved through the different planes a little bit more often, but I think it would still would have happened probably the same exact you know, amount. I don't know that doing any of that would have mattered, but maybe, you know, I just, anytime you do anything extreme, you're going to get extreme results. It's just the way it goes. So, yeah. I couldn't agree more on the, you know, living your life and taking risks and trying things and doing cool things and, you know, dealing with the consequences. We're doing, we're doing, we're getting, (laughs) we're getting it better now. We're showing people how to keep an eye on what's important. What would you do differently, Kelly? I'm curious. What would you do? Would you do movement and strength training differently? Well, I think one of the things that happened to me, so I had a bad crash. That was the thing that I put my femur through my tibia going way too fast. My, I was racing a stranger on some race skis and it's my fault. Oh, yeah. And I just yeah. slipped out. And, what, what he would do differently is tamper his male ego. Mm, right? You don't get something for nothing, baby. <laughs> exactly. He's right. Right. But you know, what's interesting, I think is, um, what I have done differently is I've leaned even more into the tissue physiology to support 
sort of these tissue, these healing phases. And so it made me a lot more conservative with when I work with people in terms of really understanding what our goals were during the, the kind of healing phases, but being able to turn the dials all the way up so that nutrition and sleep and stress and loading and all of those things were maxed out so that people could either heal at the rate of a human being or less. And what we've been doing is asking low level healing of people and tampering down their capacities to heal. So people are healing at these sub-threshold rates. And then we're like, oh, that must be as much as you can get out of it. And that really makes a difference when we're dealing with girls who had ACL injuries in 14 and kids who had these little Tommy John surgeries. We really have to think differently about how much we can get back. And it turns out a lot. Agreed. Yeah, I would have definitely done more. I wish I would have had more monitoring of my own. I would just go and go and go. And there was no... Yeah. There was no really cutoff. There was no goal every day. Every day was just to go heavier and harder versus like having, you know, moments where I looked at like speed versus always that one RM. That's a lot. Only focusing on absolute strength, you know, eventually that's going to turn out bad. <laughs> Poorly. And it did. So. Well, and we, that was the old model. It was really outwork everyone. I, everyone, if you're listening to this, the old model at the Olympic level seriously was train as absolutely hard as you can and then get injured and then back off, and then we'll get a little bit further next time. That was the conscious yeah. methodology yeah. that was handed down to me on the national team. And we realize now, we're like, wow, we probably missed Could a few steps a in lot there. Smarter. Yeah. There's a lot of things we're missing, man. All you got to do is, you know, what is the guy that took over British cycling and like changed their whole that's approach right. to everything? I feel like there's so many things that a lot of us are missing. And like, that's one of the things that we're trying to do right now is to take, you know, we got a year and a half before the Olympics in 2024. And if we really have this goal of not only going there, but meddling or like potentially winning, like we're going to have to do every single thing. Like as far as like they would even look at like the soap they use to wash their hands to prevent sickness because we got sick. That's another thing right before the world. <laughs> we also got sick. Several people got sick. And so there's like lots of little things that we're going to dial in in the next year and a half to where some people are going to consider it obsessive. And that's okay. It's okay. I'm, you're, we're you're, on the team, yeah, coach. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm so excited to talk about this subject with you, which we talked about briefly at the beginning, which is kids, youth development, youth strength and conditioning. But before we do, I know you have some kids and that you train with them. So tell us about your kids. I have three small children. I have an eight and a six and a three-year-old girl. Looks like the girl is going to like weightlifting more than the boys. Like she <laughs> turns out to really be good. She's only three, but then I have a 20-year-old daughter, but she didn't really get the benefits of what these guys have gotten because she was born when I was not as smart. So I was young and stupid, but sorry, Bailey. But I say that to my oldest kid too. So I literally just talked about this on another podcast, but it is a subject I'm obsessed with. So I want to get your take on it. But one of the things we experience all the time is parents calling us in various sports. It's not just our kids play water polo, but it's been in every sport saying, where do I get sports specific strength and conditioning for my kid? And, you know, because they think that their kid's a mountain biker, so they need to do like a special kind of curls that other kids don't have to do and a special kind of whatever. And But it is interesting because I often say, hey, there's a CrossFit gym on every corner and every kid is weak and needs to get strong. And to me, and coordinated and there's so many other things, but to me, that's the easiest way to do it. But, you know, sometimes it's hard. People really have these mental blocks to any kind of strength and conditioning and they hear rumors that a kid should, that A, it isn't specialized and that B, they hear these things that kids shouldn't pick up a barbell till they're 18. And, you know, so, I mean, are you seeing those same misconceptions and what are you trying to get out there in the world about that? 
it blows me away that it still exists. You know, uh, Avery Fagenbaum is a researcher who's, who's done, he's led the way as far as research on youth development. And none of that's true. Like the whole like um, growth plate thing is like, it's <laughs> so far from the truth. Matter of fact, it's completely the opposite. It's um, compressive weight is actually pretty good. It actually helps in the development of the, the epiphyseal line is what we're really talking about. It's when, you know, the body is kind of, leaves a part of the bone and it's kind of soft so it allows for you to develop and get bigger and taller and as we get older and we've reached maximum height then it closes in and gets and hardens up and so compression is actually pretty good it's like torsion it's like planting cutting and turning that's where things go wrong so like if you really don't want a growth plane injury then don't play like soccer football or basketball which i'm not saying that you're round that at all yeah i'm just saying like you know it it does not come from the force where something's like a, a lightweight is placed in your hands or on your back. It, it's the best thing for that. So I just wish people would be more, would read and like find out the truth and not just listen to some thing they heard 20 years ago. It's amazing that stuff is still out there because information is available at a rate that's never been seen before in mankind. But yet the problem is the bad information is available. So it's just crapshoot is if people read the right stuff, they just go to the science and like, don't listen to some quack saying, just, you know, blurbing out a bunch of misinformation. We have two daughters, as Juliet said, who play water polo and they both have cannons. I love water polo, by the way. One of them, one of, it's, it really is amazing. It's a rad sport, right? One of them is 14 and, and a goalie and she can pass dry passes all the way down to the pool in front of the cage. And, and 14 people were like, wow, does she do that? And we had this other, our other daughter's a senior who's just had a cannon. And people are like, it's so amazing how hard they can throw. I'm like three words, muscle snatches. They have been muscle snatching their whole life. Do you think this is an accident? And the same people are like, whoa, Olympic lifting is dangerous. And I'm like, define Olympic lifting. What What is it you think you're saying? And well, let me tell you what I mean. Just like we say, show up. And it is... um. It's so interesting to see this conversation because Julie and I are so passionate. We have a group of women, young girls coming over to tr lift at our house today, right? They're all water polo players. Awesome. But where is the disconnect for parents when they suddenly are like, oh, weightlifting is bad or I need very sport specific planks, which is what it ends up being, right? Planks and lunges. Yeah. And then all of a sudden kids go to college and they're expected to be college students, play a college level game and be in the weight room. Holy crap, that's a lot to pick up as a freshman. Having, if they've never done it before, I mean, it's insane. It's just, here's the thing. If I were to post a video of my son playing tackle football at eight years old, nobody would say a thing. They'd be like, oh, that's awesome. You know, I could show a video of him tackling some kid and just <laughs> crush him in the ground. And some dad would be out there, that's right. Yeah, that's awesome. And then I could post a video of an empty five kilogram, 11 pound barbell they could be doing an overhead squat and somebody inevitably would be like, oh, you're going to mess up their growth plate. You're going to stunt their growth. I'm like, are you stopping before you say that? <laughs> think about that. Like, science aside, man. Like, just think about like, we all, I think most of us know force equals mass times acceleration. So you're really telling me a five kilogram barbell being held in my hand, we would only acted on by gravity and 9.81 meters per second squared is worse on me than some little kid running into me at full speed and hitting me. And now you got both of our speeds, can, you know, both of our accelerations combined. Come on, man. Stop to think about it. You know? Anyway. I so appreciate that. 
if you could wave your hand and make every kid who enters, let's say, gets to high school, what movements are your essentials for those kids? Because we, I think like, one of the things regardless is regardless of sport, like movements that right. would be valuable for every kid in any sport to be competent. Because I have my own things that I teach. That I'm like, these are my non-negotiables. This is what we work on. Right. Right. And we can make it games and gamify it and play, but like it's non-negotiables. What are your key elements for like to high school and maybe through high school? I would say like the the key, you know, essentials of movement, like squatting, hinging, lunging, you know, um, working through rotational movements, but like, I don't really care about what they're doing it with. Like they don't necessarily have to have like a barbell or a kettlebell. I don't care as long as they can squat properly and they're loading it. And if they can lunge properly and they can load it. And if they can like um, hinge properly and load it and they can push and they can pull, then I don't care what they use as far as the instrument, but preferably I would say that front squatting, overhead squatting, and then a trap bar deadlift, if I had to choose, if they could do those three things, it would be definitely advantageous as they grow up. Um, obviously cleaning and snatching, but I'm biased. But if they can do the other, the front squat, overhead squat, and they can do a trap bar deadlift, I feel like they'll have a big, they're going to be ahead of most of the kids. I love it. We, we again, let me just reiterate everyone, we snatch a lot in my family. We sent up Caroline to no, a- We do too, obviously. <laughs> we sent Caroline up to a uh, local Olympic lifting club. And the coach called me, Yasha, and was like, hey, you know- I love uh, Yasha Faye, by the way. Of course. Yeah, yeah. Great human, great he, human. Great and they program. have some He's magic winning. going on up there. It's Marin Heavy Athletics, everyone, just so you know. Shout out to a really magical program. But he called me and said, hey, there's a young kid in here who parents said that he's not allowed to snatch. Are you okay with your daughter snatching? And I was like, if she doesn't snatch. Yeah, we're snatch, like, that's why we're sending her there. She, you're fired. Yeah. By the way, yeah. funny story for you. The reason that she went there, by the way, is that- is at funny? one point, well, Kelly doesn't think it's funny, but I do. At one point I told Kelly, cause you know, Kelly has sometimes the pendulum has swung so far the other way. Cause he doesn't want to be that dad. You know, he doesn't like want to be the guy coaching his kids or whatever. But then, you know, one time I said to him, I was like, okay, great. That's great. Except for like our kids need to leave into their adult life, having gained some benefit of Kelly Starrett being their father. Right. So you need to coach them and they can't leave here until they are competent in all the Olympic lifts and whatever. So I said, okay, so you need to start coaching Caroline. And then I think it was just partly her age. You know, I think she was like 12 or 13 or whatever. <laughs> they did like four or five sessions. And every time she would end walking in the kitchen crying, so, so then then that's when we were like, it's time to outsource. <laughs> so that's when we outsourced Caroline's Olympic lifting to Yash and his team. And anyway, it was amazing. And now she's mature enough and she can lift with Kelly. It's fine. But and I you know, sometimes you got to outsource. You should be able to coach anyone, anytime. That doesn't mean your children. I think if you're an elite coach, you should be able to coach children. And simultaneously, sometimes that's not because I seem to do very well with the other kids in the neighborhood. Yeah, but just my yeah. my little weak sauce kids—they were so soft. Same <laughs> man. Same. My kids like my oldest boy does not like me to coach him. It's like <laughs> he's, he's very vocal about it. But then my three-year-old daughter like won't have it if I don't coach her. Every oh. day I get home, and she's like, "Let's go downstairs." She's only three too, and I'm like, "You know how it almost makes me cry every time." And my little three-year-old daughter wants me to go downstairs and teach her how to lift weights. I'm like, oh, let's go. I ne yeah, you're I'm like, never dreams can't come true. I have to tell yeah. you, yeah. it really resonates with me. There's been times where I'm lifting with my daughters. It's cold and dark. We have like the lamp on our side. And I'm like, there are a billion dads on the planet who would be killing. And then 
with all four of us are training together. And I'm like, holy crap. I love it. Can someone see the magic of what's happening? Like Juliet is slaying it. My daughters are out there are crushing it. It's, it's super bonkers. Yeah. One of the things that I'm really proud of, and I want everyone to hear this, is that you should send your kids away to college. They should know how to exercise. Yeah. They should know how to handle basic barbell implements or goblet squat or basically know how to train. Your kids should know how to cook. They should know how to go to sleep and they should know how to train a little bit. Our kids now, there's a great CrossFit near us, Tamil Cross CrossFit, and they both will send Georgia, who's That's 17. Tamil Pius. Tamil Pius. <laughs> Sorry, I'm missing a tooth right now, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Tamil Pius. He has an excuse. And uh, <laughs> um, we've sent Caroline and Georgia, Caroline's 14, Georgia's 17, to this adult led class. And they both are competent to move and jump in and modify and load appropriately. And I'm like, oh, like I'm right. winning as a coach dad. You've done your job then. Right. And last night, Georgia and her boyfriend are out lifting at like 730 in the night. Lifting. Yeah, that was cool. That was cool to watch. And like in like gloves, it was so cold. A tip I would give is like what we did is we turned our basement into they think it's a playroom but it's not it's like i have you know the jungle gyms on the roof oh, yeah. i have i have the rock the climbing wall for the wall they I have their barbells so they think it's their playroom but it's they're training they don't know it but they are they got a rope they got a rope that they climb ropes that they the battle ropes so it's just what they think is playing is exercise and i would say that they're the parents out there, that's the key, is making it fun. If it's work, then it's not going to be – it's not going – I lifted weights because I loved it. It was what I did for fun. Yeah. And that's the key is to make it a place to go to play. And so I was just going to say we call that – we came up with a phrase for that called peppering your environment, which is just we have stuff around everywhere that's fun and you can play with and it's there. So they're more likely to do it right. because it's right in front of them. My right? kids have always had a slack line in their life, always. Slack line. <laughs> I hear the tooth. <laughs> you can hear the tooth, everyone. Um, <laughs> one more thing is that um, let's move. Let's move on. Okay, so um, Travis, I, I'll come back to we're, it. We're nearing the end of our time, but tell us what you are looking forward to, what you're up to. Since we're getting to the end of this year, this will probably be released in 2023. But what are you looking forward to? What's 2023 have in store for you? Well, you know, I finished that um, the flywheel protocol in like. And it would appear that it's better to monitor the flywheel with the linear velocity. So what we're trying to do is Kelly and I have talked a lot about the, you know, like the soccer teams and the volleyball, the travel club teams that never seem to get to train. I would really like to make it, you know, the flywheels accessible mm. to those teams. And so I'm working with Kabuki and Jim Ware to come up with a solution to where I can get, I would love for those teams to be able to, to get five or six of these flywheels and have their athletes at least train once or twice a week with the flywheel so we can slow down this whole ACL epidemic. So that, that is my goal for next year is to find out ways to get that, the flywheel to those travel teams. And the reason why flywheels, because it's easier to coach. It's not like a barbell on their back and they have less risk of injury by, you know, by a barbell being on their back. So I'm hoping I can get that to be more accessible for teams out there. So I'm talking to and a few of the bigger travel teams now. So we'll great. see what happens. Travis and I basically sent, I don't know, 100 texts back and forth about microdosing. Like we called it like strength couplets or we called it skilled yeah. conditioning. We, we would choose two or three things and say, how are we going to get enough dosing 
into our kids in season because they're smoked from school, they're smoked right. from their, their sport demands, but we still need to do some training. That's what he's referring yeah. to. Yeah. That's what I'm hoping that they'll be able to use the flywheel to slow down the ACL. That's a great idea. I just, everyone understands it's basically a wheel with a strap and the wheel is a big metal wheel. And when you start to pull on it, you can create a ton of momentum. That wheel starts to spin up and then it whips back the other direction at the end and you have right. to break the wheel and start again. So if you're moving slowly and you're weak, it doesn't move that fast. And if you're right. super strong, same kids on it and they can generate a ton of force <laughs> and a ton of deceleration force. So it meets you wherever you are. It's really cool. Yeah. And at any inertial load, it overloads the eccentric, which you won't get like with, um, if you're lifting, say, a squat, a back squat, like the eccentric will be the same as the, well, actually, you just won't even work the eccentric as hard because normally you're about 20% stronger eccentrically to create force than concentrically. So if you're just using a back squat, you're leaving some eccentric force that could be generated you're leaving some in the tank and so and you can grab this with a handle and let the handle go at any time it's pretty great so yes. i can't wait to uh read this thing and uh, uh let us know how we can help get this thing out in the world i think you could solve a lot of problems we just had every kid doing single leg squats on this thing holy moly it's beautiful beautiful Travis, where can people find you on social and the internet and learn more about you and your you. programs and your coaching and everything awesome you're doing? MashElite.com. You can also have a series on gym. most of the information. That's MashElite.com, everyone. Say it again. Yeah. M-A-S-H, Elite.com. Or go to GymWare.com and you can read a lot of my, most of my content as far as education-based is on GymWare now. I'm partnered with them to do their education. So you can go there and read all my articles and all my videos, watch my videos. So, yeah. And we didn't even have a chance to talk to you about it, but you also participate in two podcasts of your own. So people can listen to those. <laughs> oh yeah. The Barbell Life and Barbell Shrugged. A lot of most people know Barbell Shrugged and then mine's The Barbell Life. And so, or if there's any young people out there, I'm a coach at Lenore Ryan University in weightlifting, you know, come, uh, can be a weightlifter. All you need to do is have less than two hundred dollars in your pocket. Show up, <laughs> and then you're like, <laughs> and I done. guarantee you, Career. you're going to be in. Career world. Show up, everyone. Great. Show up. Go go knock on the doors. Don't text an email and ask a question. Show up in person if you can. Just show up, but you better have a little something when you get here. That now, be clear. <laughs> I had some talent, but like, so don't show up as a scrub and expect me to be all welcoming. But yeah, I'll I'll give you a hug, but like. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. Thanks, Coach. So fun. Thank you guys for having me on. Thank you for listening to the Ready State Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, check out all our episodes here or at thereadystate.com. And be sure to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes to help others find our show. Check us out and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at The Ready State. Until next time, cheers, everyone. You got it. You better stop it.